If you have your copy of God's Word with you tonight, as we're finishing up, just a few weeks left, the Minor Prophets in the Old Testament. And we're at the Haggai tonight, uh, the second shortest book uh, in the Old Testament, if not the entire Word of God. Uh, Haggai, if we've been looking at the prophets that uh, have been prophesying about the fall of Jerusalem, uh, Haggai prophesies after Jerusalem has fallen, after the 70 years of captivity, and the Jewish people have started to come back. Jeremiah, or uh, excuse me, Haggai prophesies during the time of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and so if you want to read those, you can. Uh, we know that um, uh, Babylon, uh, the great Babylonian empire, has fallen. Uh, Assyria fell first. Babylon then was the world power, and they have fallen. And we know from reading the book of Daniel uh, that Daniel, while he was taken captive by the Babylonians and had served uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Belshazzar, that he was still alive when the uh, Babylonian empire fell. Jewish tradition says it was Daniel who would have shown Cyrus and um, the leaders of this new empire the scrolls about Isaiah's prophecies about the children of Israel coming back into the promised land. We don't know that for sure, but we do know in Daniel chapter 1 verse 21 that he was still giving advice, still being used by God at this transition of power. And so tonight as we look at the book of Haggai, it's important, I think, for a few different reasons. One, we see God's faithfulness to the Jewish people, but we also see the dangers that we can fall into if we are not careful. And we know that so many times God's blessings, God's times of correction will bring our attention to Him, but yet how easy it is once the storms of life are over to begin to drift back into the things that we were doing, the things that we were embracing. And if you know why the prophet Haggai prophesies, it's because the children of Israel have been in the land approximately 15 to 18 years. They have begun to settle back into the promised land. And something happens. The people of God begin to rebuild their own houses. They begin to focus on their own lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a new home or you can't uh, invest in the things that matter to you. But what we see is when what you are building becomes more important than God's kingdom building, you are in danger of the correction of God. When you and I get so busy with the things of this life that we forget that we are citizens of another home, of another kingdom. We have to be very careful that good things in life do not become more important than God's things in our life. And so I want to read from you Deuteronomy chapter 30 because we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30 some of these same principles being given to the wilderness generation. And we're going to see these same principles are applied to the generous generation coming back. If you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word in Deuteronomy chapter 30 starting in verse 9. <clears throat> The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as He rejoiced over your fathers. If, 
you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which are written in the book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the lands which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank You today for Your love and kindness towards Your people. And Lord, as we look throughout the Old Testament and Your faithfulness and Your covenant love toward a rebellious and stubborn people. Father, tonight we pray that you would help us to focus on our walk with you, to seek your face, to not be distracted by the things of this world. And tonight, Lord, I pray that you would work and speak, and Lord, that you would do great and mighty things for your glory. Father, forgive me for anything that would hinder, that would quench your spirit at work in this place tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see these commands from the Lord that this is what He wants of them, gives them the choice to make. And in Haggai chapter 1, we begin to see that they have experienced this judgment. They've experienced the corrective hand of God. And here they are, back in the promised land. And so if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you will, I only preached about 20-some minutes this morning, so you probably won't get so lucky tonight. But you never know. The first thing I want to show you this evening is God's message to His people. God's message to His people, starting in chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now for the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Let's just stop there for a moment. 
we know that the temple had not been rebuilt. What had been rebuilt was very small, was very insignificant at that time. And God says, you have made a decision in your hearts that what you are building is more important than what should be built for me. What you are accomplishing on your own is what is more important than you are accomplishing for me. He lays out the accusation against them. And tonight you're saying, well, Jake, that would never happen to me. It couldn't happen to me. I think it is the number one thing that Christians in America struggle with. We are in a land of blessing beyond measure. We have more than anyone could ever dream. You can go buy new houses and new barns and new boats and new all of this stuff, and none of it's wrong. But friends, if we're not careful, we begin to focus in on the blessings of God and we neglect the things of God, the work of God, the service of God. And God says, because you have done this, this is what is happening in your life, even if you don't realize it. In verse 6 it says, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. He says, you have everything. You're accomplishing all these things, but you have no satisfaction. You have no sense of joy and peace. And friends, we are watching that today. We have more luxuries, more blessings, more things, but yet if you look at the studies, people are more miserable today than at any other point. More teenagers struggle with depression and the thoughts of suicide at this time than at any time they've tracked it. But yet they have everything. We have everything. I can remember working at Walgreens, working a short summer at General Tire, and there were guys that would work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours because they had everything you could ever want to buy, but they had no happiness. They had no time to enjoy it. They couldn't do the things they should have been doing because they were trying to achieve something that couldn't be achieved. And what God says is, if you and I are His people, if we're not careful, we will get so occupied with building us and our kingdom that will never find joy. We'll never be able to have peace. We will constantly be trying to do all of these good... There's nothing wrong with sowing. There's nothing wrong with eating. Nothing wrong with drinking. Nothing wrong with clothing yourself. Nothing wrong with earning a wage. But what he says is, because your heart's in the wrong place. Because your focus is in the wrong place. He says none of it means anything. He goes on in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Tonight, the issue is not if it happens, it is are we willing under the leadership of the Spirit of God to deal with it? To allow the Spirit of God to convict us when we set up idols, when we set up our own personal agendas, when we focus on the things that are not God's but ours. He says, consider your ways. As I have to pray about my own heart, why do I do what I do? Why do I go where I go? Why do I say what I say? Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. God says before you keep doing stuff, you have to stop and allow the Spirit to work on you. Says the Lord in verse 9, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. 
Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruin, while every one of you runs to his own house. We see some pretty impressive things here. One God says you can try all you want. You can work at it, you can strive at it, you can build it, and he can blow it down. It's like the story of the three little pigs, right? One built it out of straw, one built it out of something else, one built it out of bricks. The bird back wolf came and blew it down and blew it down. God says you can build it, you can try to accomplish it, you can try to strive for it, but if you are fighting against the Lord, you will not overcome. If you have a marriage tonight that you're trying to do on your own instead of God's ways, it'll never achieve the purposes and plans of God. Look what it says in verse 10. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all of the labor of your hands. God says, I'm the reason there's drought in Israel. I am the reason because I'm trying to get your attention. Now this is where everybody gets upset. But friends, when difficult things come, when challenges come, even when disaster can strike, you can do one of two things. You can get angry at God and you can blame Him. Or you can get alone with God and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What is in my life that shouldn't be here? You say, Jake, that's an Old Testament principle. That's not in the New Testament. Read 1 Corinthians 11 when it talks about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. God loves you too much to allow you to continue to run into your own disaster, to run from your own blessings, and to run into the heartache and pain of this life. We see in here, verse 12, the response. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. If you were here this morning, you heard the sermon on the power of the Word of God and the power of the presence of God. And tonight we see Haggai was proclaiming the Word of God, and the people of God listened, and the presence of God, and things changed. If you want things to change in this church and in your marriage and in your life, you have to be willing to listen to God's Word and to have a reverence and respect for His presence in your life. The very Spirit of God that lives within you, that indwelt you at salvation. You have to be willing to say, Lord, You're in charge of my life. You're in charge of our marriage. You're in charge of your church. In verse 13, though, it says in the second part, though, I am with you, says the Lord. God did not bring this drought just to be evil. God did not bring this hardship upon them out of cruelty. It was brought to them out of love. That's why the Bible says, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. Now, I get in a lot of flack for quoting that verse. Even good conservative Christian parents will say, well, I just don't believe it should be a rod. Look up here. I didn't write it. Now, I didn't write it, but it says to spare the rod means to not dislike your child. That word for hate is the same word that can be used for God hating sin. 
God wants you to correct your children. Don't abuse them. Don't beat them. Don't do things like that. But friends, if you do not correct someone that is heading for disaster, it's not love. And God loves us perfectly. When troubles come as a couple, as a church, all of these things, it should cause us not to be angry but to stop and say, God, what are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to teach me? Second thing tonight I want to show you from this wonderful little book is God's encouragement to His people. God's encouragement to His people. If you go down there in chapter 2 and verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this temple in the former glory? What he's saying is, how many of you are about 75 to 80 years old and you're old enough to remember what Solomon's temple looked like in all of its glory? and all of the gold, and all of the beauty, and all of the elegance that encompassed Solomon's temple. How many of you remember that? He's saying, I want you to be thinking about that for just a moment. And do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Wait, you want us to rebuild it, and now you're saying it's nothing? Yet now be strong. Zerubbabel says the Lord and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. And here are those five words again, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. What he says is, you might think this work is insignificant because it's not as big as the last one. It's not as beautiful as the last one. There's not the fanfare of the last one. You don't have this great king like the last one. But don't worry. As long as you're doing it for me. As long as you're doing it out of a love for me. And a desire to honor me. I talk to a lot of pastors that are pastoring small churches, struggling churches, difficult situations... And I always try to tell them, as long as you're being faithful, as long as you're being faithful, that's all God asks of you. God doesn't expect you to save people. God expects you to share the gospel. God doesn't expect you to draw people during an altar call. He expects you to pray and invite and preach. And friends, when you serve God, there will be times in your life when you think, well, I don't get to do what someone else does, or I don't get the recognition of someone else, or I don't have the gifts or talents, and I don't have this. And you begin to believe Satan's lie that what you're doing for the kingdom of God is insignificant. I preached this afternoon at, um, um, oh, where were we, Dave? Fox Meadows. I preached on the 70 that were sent out by Jesus. And man, they were preaching and lives were being changed. Demons were being cast out. The sick was being healed. They came back to Jesus and they're celebrating, right? Oh God, you, so many things have happened and so many things have been done and all this greatness. And Jesus says, nevertheless, what you ought to be the most thankful for is that your name is written in the book. Friends, what you do for God is not as important as who you are because of God. Your relationship with Him, knowing that you are His, belonging to Him, wherever God uses you, be thankful. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged because God says, I'm with you. And I don't care if God has me cleaning toilets, 
preaching sermons, serving in Mexico, preaching at the nursing home. If God is with me, it's all worth it. If I am where God wants me to be, it is worth it. If I'm doing what God's asked me to do, even if it seems insignificant, smaller than what someone else does, it's worth it. We see here in verses 6 and 8 that we won't go through that for the sake of time. We begin to see how God's going to judge and work and destroy. I believe he is referencing Revelation 6 through 19, the period of the tribulation, but we won't get into that tonight. Third thing I want to show you this evening, and there are four points, so just bear with me. God gives His people a choice. God gives His people a choice. Look here in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month. So these words from Haggai are stretched out over three and a half months. God gives him a word. About a month later, He gives him another word. And then He gives him... So, over three and a half months. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law saying, If one carries holy meat into the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this. And so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. He says, you can build the temple, but your heart has to be right. He says, you can build this structure, but it's your heart that's got to be right. You can sing in church, but yet have a wicked heart. You can stand up behind a desk like this and preach and not even know the Lord. You can study and teach a Sunday school class, but yet there's wickedness in your heart. And what God says is, it's not blessed because you do it. I won't honor it. Because look what it says in verses 15 through 19. And now carefully consider, carefully consider, just like He was telling the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of God, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. He says, I have corrected you and corrected you and corrected you. He says, consider. Make a decision. Understand what I'm saying to you. Consider now from this day forward. From the 24th day of the ninth month. From the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Make a decision. Understand what is before you. Is the seed still in the barn, and yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit? But from this day I will bless you. God tells them the same thing He told them before. Choose this day who you will serve. Don't make excuses. Don't go through the motion. I've done everything necessary to get your attention, to get you here. Choose This day, last and final thing, and this is short, God gives hope for the future. Now, 
We're looking specifically at the Jewish people here. And God is telling them that you've been into captivity, you've come back, you're back into the land, but you're already messing it up. (laughs) He said, you're already making a mess of these things. And listen to what it says in verses 20 through 23. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if you follow the rest of the New Old Testament's reading, you'll know that this great victory that God promises them here has not occurred. Right? The children of Israel struggle. They come under Roman oppression. And uh, eventually, the uh, temple is destroyed, we know, uh, just a few years after the Lord is crucified. We know this very day, when you look at the nation of Israel, it is sitting in the middle of enemies. But yet we see here, I will destroy the sing- strength of Gentile Kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride on them. And so we have one of two options to believe that God has already fulfilled this promise or He is going to. This is not a promise to the church. It is referring to the Jewish people, to the Jewish nation. Zerubbabel was a descendant of the line of David. If David did not experience this promise, who is he talking about? Glad that you asked. I believe he is referencing the millennial kingdom when the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, will reign for 1,000 years. He is referencing here the simple fact that the enemies of the the Lord, the Antichrist, will be destroyed. If you've been following with us in Revelation chapter 6 and 7, I will shake heaven and earth. You can look through the bowls and the sealed judgments and see that God is destroying and shaking the earth. He is setting everything up for the King of kings and Lord of lords to fulfill His promises to the Jewish nation. You say, well, Jake, is there any other Bible evidence for that? Yes, you can read Daniel chapter 7. You can read Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, where Gabriel the angel tells Daniel these promises. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, when Gabriel is telling Daniel, he says, your city... In your people. He wasn't making that promises to a New Testament Christian if Daniel was an Old Testament Jew. And Daniel worshipped, would love to have worshipped in the holy city of Jerusalem. And so we see these promises that he is making that even though the Jewish people have failed, that they will not be perfect, they will not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength, that God is faithful. That God will be faithful to them. Three things I want you to take from this passage of Scripture tonight. The first is this, our choices matter. That's why he said over and over again, consider, 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 consider. Tonight, while we are not the Jewish people, we are God's people. And tonight, we must make a choice to be who God wants us to be. We can ignore it. 
We can do what we've always done, the way we've always done it. We can do what makes us happy. Or we can stop and listen when the Lord deals. The second thing I want to show you that I think stands out from the book of Haggai is that obeying God's Word is how God works in the world. When God's people are obedient to take the Great Commission to the world, we see the results. When God's people are committed to pray and to serve and to give and to work, we see God working in our lives. And the third is this. This should motivate us to be humble. It should cause us to remind ourselves that if we are not doing what God has asked us to do with the right heart, we will not accomplish anything. You say, well, Jake, we can have church on Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning. But if we do not have the Spirit of the Lord at work in this place, you are listening to a fat guy get air. You say, well, Jake, we can have Bible study on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday afternoon. We can do it on Thursday afternoon. But if we do not have the spirit of truth and the worship of God with a pure and gentle heart, what we are doing is just gathering together. You say, Jake, I don't see that in the New Testament. Well, I'm glad that you have questions tonight. Because Paul says, what good does it to exercise all these gifts? Or what, is it, what is it good to speak in tongues and do all of these things if I have not? What good is it? What good is it to have all this building and all this money and all this stuff if we don't love God, love each other, and love the lost? That's our heart. That's our desire. That's our focus, knowing that if we will humble ourselves, if we will just humble ourselves, and say, God, I don't want anything for me. I don't need anything for me. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be wrong. God, what I want is you. I want your direction in my life today. This afternoon, my daughter and I were at, um, I think that terrible, <laughs> Fox Meadows. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I guess my child had never sang from a songbook. And Karen had songbook lyrics printed out and blew up. Because if you don't know anything about the residents of Fox Meadows, their eyesight's not very good. And the song leader. And she is looking at this song, and she had just told me she wanted to sing. She would even like to help lead this thing. And I said, nope, send her be quiet. And she's just looking at it. And I'm like, what is wrong with her? I'm like, sing. She's like, mm. I'm like, sing. She goes, I don't know how to read it. I was like, you know how to read? You're an excellent reader. She goes, no, I don't know how to. She goes, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I began to put my finger, and I don't know what song we were singing, and followed the lines, and she began to sing. We went down to the second line, because she was going verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. Right? You read from top to bottom. Makes sense. So we did that first song. I sat there with her during the second song and pointed at the words. She began to sing a little louder. By the time the third song came and she had listened and she had followed along, she knew exactly how the program worked. And she was just singing along and it blessed my soul. But it got me to thinking, most of us are trying to do it on our own. We're not willing to listen to the corrective hand of God that says, hey, I'm trying to get your attention, there's something wrong here. 
Something's not right here. You need to pay attention and listen to my instruction. And just as something is one word after another word, it really threw her off because some of those had choruses underneath, you know. You had the first line of chorus and then some bass singer saying, you know, whatever the words are, it is well, it is well. And she's trying to go up and down, up and down, up and down. So I said, we'll work on that later, right? But it was a valid point. But by the time it was over, this little first grade child is singing and praising God. And I thought, if the church would just do that, how could we serve the Lord? If we would just pay attention when He speaks, be willing to do what He tells us, and watch God produce the results. Now, she doesn't know how the timing of songs go. She doesn't know how the notes are, are timed out. It, you know, it, it was up and down. It was a work in progress. First thing we got back to church, you know what she found? A songbook. I even came in here, and with one hand, and not good enough for anyone to listen, I don't know what song I played. Jailer, you, no, they're not in here, all right? I don't know what it was, but I played it, and she sang. And I played it, and she goes, Dad, can you play the other notes? I said, nope, not at all. You'll have to get Janice if you want a real piano player. And, all, and I think when she got out here, I think Diana was, Diana was out there in the lobby. She's out there on her songbook, and she's just writing. Right. Why? Because when God deals with your heart, friends, there should be no limit to what we can do, what we're willing to do, what we're willing to work at, what we're willing to accomplish, if we'll just let him. If we'll just let him. You say, well, Jake, I don't know how to sing a, sing a songbook. It's so much deeper than that. So much different than that. What is God wanting of you tonight? What is God doing to get your attention tonight? And what will He let Him accomplish through you and through us for His glory? Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the simple way that You work in a child's life to teach profound truths. Father, I pray tonight that You would lead guide and direct. Lord, I pray that you will do big things in the life of this church and the families that sit on these chairs tonight. But God, you're going to have to get our attention. Lord, I pray whatever it takes. Shake us out of our complacency. Shake us out of our going through the motions to really believe, Lord, that you have big and mighty plans to reach this lost and dying world. Help us, Lord, to be humble. Help us, Lord, to trust that we're in the book of Haggai tonight just because it comes after the last one. Book by book, word by word, trusting that you can speak to us. Father, tonight I pray that you'd forgive me, not if I'm a sinner, but because I am, and work in a mighty way, Lord. And I ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.